iniquity. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness for sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were freed in regard to righteousness. So what advantage did you get from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, a very good evening to all. Let's bow our heads to pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your holy word. We pray that this evening the risen Christ would speak to us and be increasingly formed in our hearts and lives, that we might be agents of change in your world. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be uh, looking at Romans 6 in a degree of detail in a few moments' time. It's on page 152 of the New Testament section. But we have um, a couple of looseners, which are very important pieces of introduction, Probably this could be said of all passages of Scripture, but I felt it would be important to explore with you particularly Romans 6, which we'll be looking at, as I've said, uh, in detail. Principally in two ways, and then concluding in three ways, if you uh, want to follow with me. But these two points of introduction are generic, I believe, across every passage of Scripture that we look at and importantly this evening. The first is that this reading is not just for individuals. Of course, I want to be a person who hears God's word for me. How does this apply for me in my daily life? But when God's word was written, Paul writes to the church in Rome, And when the letters read out to the church in Rome, Jews and Gentiles, as we are aware, people who are different, who've become Christians a long time ago, from different countries and backgrounds, or some who had just found faith immediately, they heard God's word together, sometimes in the context of a meal, sometimes in the context of a home, sometimes in the context of a gathered congregation. The church in Rome was wide and varied. So pause with me for a moment. The power of hearing God's word at the moment, in the present, with other people, together. I read my Bible on on my own. I'm sure you should be reassured about that. Occasionally listen to favourite sermons on a YouTube. Or listen to them. Or I'll certainly actually reading sermons is a good discipline as well. Different from reading a book. You can follow the development of thought. But it's just me and my thoughts. There is great power in hearing God's word together. I mean, don't do this as I'm preaching. Are you getting this? Are you getting this? There's something together important about hearing God's word. That's how it came about in the first place. The Spirit inspired Paul, right to the church in Rome, dispersed, fragmented, struggling to understand the power of the gospel, Maybe they were looking at the person next to them and thinking, well, it's not working for them. It's probably not going to work for me. 
and then the power of the gospel was explained. And I'm greatly indebted to the people who have gone before me and looked at chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and now we are on to 6. If the word of God should be heard together, so too the word of God needs to be heard in the context in which we are living. And at other points and at other times, when you hear God's word, you can reflect and see, well, that didn't do any good then, did it? Or, wow, just look at that revival, look at what happened then, and take encouragement in our own day. Uh, We've all been deeply troubled by Palestine, Israel, the Gaza, Hamas, and the horrendous amount of death and bloodshed just erupted on our screens. And most people will realize we've been here before, this is not going to go away. Deeply, deeply troubling and traumatic, particularly for brothers and sisters across the world. But cast your minds back to the early 1940s when the whole world was at war. It ended in the UK particularly, the economy had to repair at slow, slow pace. I'm not an expert on the 1950s, that decade where all the repairs somehow seemed to happen. And the public purse, if that's the right description, seemed to be a little bit more buoyant. And then in the early 1960s came that famous political phrase. Yep, you never had it so good. The buildings went up, the schools, the hospitals, I think even the vicarage was made then, I'm not sure. But you've never had it so good. The Christian church caught some of that. And with great prophetic insight, a single man, that's neither here nor there, but a Bible teacher stood up at a great convention in this country and spoke for a number of days on Romans chapter 5, 6, 7 and 8. Because I study these things, that word from God at that time affected the Christian church so much so that it embedded the power of the gospel into people that weren't kidded into getting pumped up too much, believing things that would never, frankly, ever going to happen. But neither were they so weighed down that they didn't believe that the Christian church could re-establish itself and help reform the country. Some of you might know who I'm talking about. He's written many books. For me, the litmus test are not the books he read, but his personal witness of holiness. It was said of him when married ministers spent time with him, they returned not just with better sermons and prayer life, but they were better, it was back in the day, better husbands at home. Something happened to all of them under God's word through the faithful teaching and ministry of this dear man of God who was a single man. So where are we going with this? Well, God spoke through Romans chapter 6 all those years ago. And if the decade of the 60s was great, let's enjoy ourselves. I wonder what we might think our decade is marked by. We explored this briefly. Uh, thank you for praying, by the way, for the Darcy Development Day that was a packed St. Thomas's Crooks 
Interestingly, we had a whole hour on evangelism, a really good topic to speak of. Please make a priority of coming tomorrow evening or at least listen on the website. The talk will be recorded. Questions for home groups, questions for yourself, questions for PCC and the wider church. But the subject came up, well, what sort of days are we living in? And I've not studied this because it's easy with the ability of hindsight and history to say, well, the 60s, they had it, never had it so good. But what do you detect is today? Anxious, certainly. Massively uncertain and very, very fragile. I don't personally think uh, that we should be telling people to calm down. Actually, I think the Christian church needs to be encouraging people to go the other way, to believe that actually all is not lost, to tell people that actually the gospel of Christ is the only way our world is going to get better. No, no, that is it. It is not just for us. It is for the world. This is the gospel of God, and God so loved the world. Without further ado, let's look at Romans uh, chapter 6. Well, you never know in the power of the Spirit how it might grip people's heart. I can't think it would ever be the same as those uh, Bible lectures that were given uh, many years ago by the person I was referring to. But Romans chapter 6, we've been in this for a number of weeks, but this is the first time in Paul's letter to the church in Rome where he mentions what's happened to Christian believers when Jesus died and rose again on the cross. In other words, he moves from fact, historical fact, Jesus died and rose again, or Christian doctrine, what that means to have faith and trust in Christ, but to you and I now. And he says, in fact, simply put, the first section of Romans 6, verses 1 to 14, is that every Christian is somehow united to Christ in his death and in his resurrection. In other words, what happened all those years ago on Good Friday, what happened on that first glorious Easter day that is an uncontestable historical fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died and rose again. Fact, end of. That happened then, but it also affects what happens now. Principally, because Paul says in Romans chapters. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14, something happened to you then, as long as you lock your brains into it. And it's not so much, and this is so important, and in detail I'll be going through with you five or six verses collected together. It's not the cross of Christ, it's not the resurrection of Christ, it's the cross and resurrection of Christ held together as one. Why do I say that? Well, look at verse 4 to start with. Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into his death. His death on the cross, in other words. So that, just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of God the Father, we too might walk in resurrection life. Death and resurrection. Cross and empty tomb mentioned in the same verse. It's there again in verse 5. For if... If you clock your minds to this, that we've been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly be united with him 
in his resurrection. That's probably the clearest thing in all those verses. Dying and rising, held together as one. In verses 6, you have the death and crucifixion of Christ. And then following on in verses 7, you have the freedom that we have by being raised with Christ. It goes on in verse 8. Are you getting the point? But if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Do you get the point? The cross and resurrection in the same verse. And Paul says what happened then, if you're united with Christ, somehow happens to you. I'll conclude in verses 10 and 11. For the death he died to sin, Calvary's tree, once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. That's Jesus, but remember the here and now, Romans 6, verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. That's who you are. It's not just your age. It's not just what you do for a job. It's not just who you're married to, how many children you have, or where you live. The most important thing about you, from the God's eye view of your human soul, your body, and all that's you, is whether you're united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. For what happened to him can and will do happen to you. Once we grasp how important we are to God, then the next part of Paul's arguments follows on from verses 15 to the end of the chapter. A lot more could be done on this in detail, but I want to underline a word that's mentioned at least three or four times. And it talks about the implication if somehow the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ are living in me at one and the same time, then there's an implication on me for how I should live. And Paul explains it by using the word present. Do you remember one of Peter the Apostle's great phrases? Some of the things Paul writes are very difficult to understand. I'm trying to make it easy. He mentions this three times. You present yourself to God. And I'm fairly certain it's the same word that's mentioned of Christ. He presented himself to God as a sacrificial atonement for the sins of the whole world. Not my will be done, but yours be done. Into the garden to sweat blood. Onto the cross to feel the nails. He presents himself for us. He dies and God raises him to life forevermore. Not just a fact, so Paul says, an experience for you in the here and now. And if you're living off that experience, then Paul says there's only one way to live. You need to present yourself to God. The school teacher, who's present here today? Let's do the roll call of the register. Sergeant Major, present yourself onto the parade ground. So Paul says in three or four ways, we are to present ourselves to God. Notice first of all, actually use it also in verse 13. 
No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Present yourselves to God. Verse 16. Do you not know if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, either to sin which leads to death or obedience which leads to righteousness? Do you get the point? If God's done this, then we need somehow to present ourselves to God. Verse 19, mention again, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Goodness me, what patronizing language. Well, you are speaking in rather complicated phrases, Peter says to Paul. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity, one problem always leads to another. Why do you get the drift? When Jesus died and rose again, there is a force at work within you that if you present yourself to God, you will live a holy, better, more righteous, risen life. That's what Paul is going for. Present yourselves to God. Moving house from Kent, uh, we've pruned various things, and one thing I felt just had to go was a whole selection of politically incorrect church cartoons. They were dated, and every time I read them and looked at them, I started to laugh and then caught myself afterwards thinking, I really shouldn't be laughing at that. But one I remember. (laughs) It's dated, it's sexist, and all the rest of it. There's a male vicar standing outside a glorious church on a wonderful sunny day. He's got all his robes on, and there's a lady that's obviously, sorry, high dudgeon about something, it's dated, she had a handbag and a brolly, and she was, had a sort of aggressive temperament as she was looking at this vicar who was somehow not sure how to respond to this interchange, which was emotionally charged as the handbag was waved and the umbrella was thrust to the unsuspecting clergyman just trying to do his job, and the caption underneath read, How did you get to be such an expert on sin? (laughs) If you knew me, you probably wouldn't listen to me. That's the reality. I guess if I knew you, I probably wouldn't even get up to preach. (laughs) Goodness me. How do we get to be experts in knowing that Jesus Christ is alive? Do you believe that? Hallelujah, is he alive? The Lord is here, his spirit is... How do we get to get that when we feel like we shouldn't be doing that? We get that so that we can do that and experience his risen life by presenting ourselves to God together and however you are with him and you feel like at the start of every day, not good God, it's morning, but good morning God. I'm presenting myself to you. Three possible applications I've thought of, if I may, in prayer. Perhaps the Lord's words, the Lord's risen words, the risen Lord's risen words to Mary is true for us. Don't hold on to me. Let go. What do you need to let go of that Jesus can give himself to you 
because he loves you. He's alive. This Jesus and the tombs empty wants to come to you. So let go of whatever you're struggling with. Just let it go so that he can be with you. Secondly, join in with something really good. I was blessed to visit Murfield uh, for a speaking engagement, I think, last year. What an incredible part of God's country. Tucked in the middle of nowhere, a beautiful place. It's a retreat centre. It's a place of theological learning. Do visit Murfield, even just for the experience of the beauty of the building and the beauty of the setting. What do they call the building? The community of the resurrection. Find people that get this, that want to live a holy life, renewed and empowered by Jesus Christ. Probably shouldn't say this, but most Church of England churches you walk into, you just think, oh, goodness me, it smells here. Is there any young people here? Is there any life here? Does anyone believe this stuff? The responsibility is yours. If you get this and Jesus Christ is alive, find other people that believe that and meet with them in community. Love to see you at All Saints. Regularly on Sunday, especially the prayer meetings, especially tomorrow night. But find people that believe this and join in with them. Thirdly, power up. I'm sure you've all heard of power dressing. This is the best I've got. Charity shop, 30 quid. The shirt is 30 years old. Power up. When you serve others and seek to be an agent of transformation to other people who are drifting away, falling and dying and don't have the gospel, when you commit to that, God will see, oh, I think they're they're into this. If it's just for yourself then I I think you're going to fizzle out. Because the reason we're changed is that we can bring about change in other people. What do you think this decade is marked by? Anxiety? What are your worries? Let the risen Christ calm you down. It really is going to be all right. If, If he's smashed death, he's bound to be able to look after your worries. And your uncertainties. I'll tell you where you're going, six foot under. That's where you're going. Why be uncertain about where you're going when Jesus Christ has got you into the next life? If he sorted that, everything else in this life really will be okay. And there are plenty of other people that Paul knew needed the gospel of Christ. And sometimes the church in Rome, they were just a bit unsettled, weren't really getting on with each other, hadn't really got God. Once we get him, we'll have something together to act for the transformation of the world. I'm sure the Spirit's spoken this evening. Uh, I trust we've heard something together and maybe we can collect some of those thoughts For our lives of individuals, let's uh, hold stillness and I'll lead you in a prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, crucified and risen Son of God, please be formed in each one of our hearts that together as a company of your people 
we can live even this day and this week to your praise and glory where you've spoken. Grant that each day we might present ourselves to you and experience your risen life and bless others. For Jesus' sake, amen.